Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 64 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt. This is the first of two episodes where we're going to be looking at some of the techniques and strategies that you can use when you're researching and planning your book, and especially the setting of your book. In this episode, we're going to be looking at techniques that can help you with the setting of the story or project that you're working on right now. In the next episode, we're going to be looking at the kinds of things that you can do to help you invest for projects that you're going to be working on in the future, maybe months or even years into the future. So for this episode, we're going to start with research. How does it work? What are the problems you have to look out for? And how could it inform your writing? We're also going to be looking at how we can be respectful to those who we ask to help us with our research. And then we're going to touch on ways in which we can use reasoning to reinforce the credibility of the setting in our book. So let's start by talking about the place where most writers go to begin with when they want to do some research, and that's the internet. Now, of course, the internet is a great resource. We can find out all kinds of stuff out there on the web that would have taken us hours and hours, maybe 30 or more years ago, if we were scurrying around a library to find things out. We can find out the highest mountain in North America. We can find out the chemical composition of glucose. We can check which exoplanets are nearest to us, what star they orbit, what their radius and mass is. We can find out all of the names of Jane Austen's six brothers. We can even find out the name of the wife of the crown prince of Denmark. Now, the problem with all this is that as we do all of this wonderful research, we're in danger of forgetting what the internet can't do and also what it's not very good at. We need to be sure that what we found is true. Sometimes that means cross-referencing what we've found so that we can see, see if we can find some independent sources of that information. And sometimes it means making sure that we found the very latest information on a subject. Let me give you some examples of where things can go wrong. In November 2012, Lord Leveson, a senior English judge, was rather embarrassed when he named Brett Straub as one of the founders of the independent newspaper in the Leveson Report. The name had been added to the Wikipedia article on the independent over a year before this, and it turned out to be that of a 25-year-old Californian whose friend had added his name to a string of Wikipedia pages just as a prank. Here's another example that shows how important it is for us to find the very latest information on a subject. On the 12th of October 2012, the website space.com ran an article with the headline Discovery! Earth-sized alien planet at Alpha Centauri is closest ever seen. The story was that astronomers had detected an Earth-like planet around the star Alpha Centauri b. Now, if we based a story on that piece alone, we would have taken no account of subsequent articles like the one that appeared on the 29th of October 2012, that's just two or three weeks later, which told us that in fact scientists now believed the planet did not exist. Here's another example of how things can go wrong. Shortly before the first round draw for the UEFA Cup in 2008, an edit was made to an article for the football club AC Ammonia, which added the following completely erroneous information. A small group of loyal fans are lovingly called the Zany Ones. They like to wear hats made from discarded shoes and have a song about a little potato. Now that was all completely made up, but on the 18th of September of that year, a British journalist working for the Daily Mirror quoted this information in his match preview ahead of Ammonia's game with Manchester City. That information appeared in web and print versions of the Mirror. And then in subsequent editions on the 19th of September, all this before the fact was checked and found to be erroneous. 
And just today, 1st of May 2016, as I prepared for this podcast, I read an article on the BBC website telling me that tributes for the actor Bob Hoskins were suddenly appearing on Twitter, even though Bob Hoskins passed away two years ago. And it turned out that for the last couple of days, his name has been trending as hundreds use Twitter to pay their respects. Now, it turned out that the confusion may have started after a lot of people started sharing an old BBC news story about Bob Hoskins' death. And then clearly some fans thought that this meant that he'd only just died. So use the internet by all means, but try to find the latest information on your subject and check for independent verification, especially if the fact you've unearthed seems controversial or it's especially critical to your work. In addition to this, we need to make sure we're aware of the difference between fact and opinion. Let me give you some examples. Here are two facts. The symbol on the periodic table for gold is AU. In the Second World War, the Allies started their assault on occupied France, the D-Day landings, on the 6th of June 1944. These are pretty incontrovertible facts and as far as I'm aware no one would dispute them. Now here are three other facts that most people will believe but in fact there are a small minority of people who do not think they're true. Here's the first one. The first human being to set foot on the moon was Neil Armstrong on the 21st of July 1969. Second piece of information. Adolf Hitler killed himself by gunshot on the 30th of April 1945 in his bunker in Berlin. Third piece of information. The earth is round, not flat. Now whilst most people would believe those last three facts I gave you, there will be some people who would dispute them. Finally we have two assertions. These aren't actually facts in the objective sense, even though some people will believe or disbelieve them very strongly. Here's the first one. The biggest threat to humanity comes from a bioengineered pandemic. Here's the second one. The biggest threat to humanity comes from an asteroid hitting the Earth. Now if we're dealing in opinions like this, we have to ask ourselves certain questions like who is asserting these opinions? What expertise do they have in this area? What evidence do they have to back up what they claim? And do I have any reason to think they might not be objective about this issue? Now there are of course other sources of research. The library, especially the reference library, is still a great place to find information that might not be on the internet. And if you're researching a particular place, it's useful to actually go there to see if you can notice things that an article or the internet won't be able to tell you. To see if you can get a feel for the place, the sight, the sounds, the smell, the taste of it. It would be the judicious use of these details that help turn your setting into something which is credible and immersive. Let me give you an example of what I mean. The author Ian MacDonald writes stories which have a rich and immersive international setting. He visits the places that will serve as the settings for his books, whether that's Brazil or India or Turkey. And because he's been there, he can identify those particular things, those little details which really do make a setting persuasive. The other main source of information, of course, is through engaging with and observing other people. And this is especially useful if you want to research characters and the way they act with each other and with the events that are going on around them. Sometimes you could just be an observer of what is going on around you. Some writers have noted that their job is to observe the joys and the triumphs, as well as the tragedies and the heartache and the pain that is going on in people's lives around them. They're just there to observe in that experience. Now, if we are observing something as writers, which is 
quite tragic. We might feel compassion for those involved, but we need to maintain some detachment so that we can understand and record what's going on. And this can seem like a very cold approach to engaging with others. And in fact, it's sometimes referred to as the splinter of ice approach after comments made by the author Graham Greene. He was confined to a hospital briefly as a young man and whilst he was there he overheard a mother's grief over her child who had died in a nearby bed. Commenting on the experience he said there is a splinter of ice in the heart of a writer and sometimes this is just how we have to collect our research. Other engagements with people in research can be more collaborative, informal conversations or more formal interviews all have their place. Now conversations with people who have a particular experience or expertise can yield authentic information that really can enrich setting and plot and character. And this brings us to the second of my three R's and that is respect. When you engage with somebody directly to tap into their knowledge or their experience it's vital that you show them respect. How do you do this? Well, this is a subject that I touched on in a recent interview with Nisi Shaw in episode 60 of the podcast. We were talking about how we can respectfully engage with people who are very different from ourselves in terms of age or gender or race or sexual orientation. How do we approach that kind of direct personal research when we want to gain some insight from somebody else's experience? Here's what Nisi had to say about that subject. If you, if you want to sort of do some, not just some desk research, not just looking at books, but if you, let's say I want to write a character, I feel in, in my story there needs to be a character who is somebody from the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria, let's say. And maybe, maybe I know one person or two. Right. And I want to talk to that person to actually begin to understand how it is for them, what's important to them, how how life is from their perspective. So I want to talk to them, but I don't want to do it in a deceitful way. I don't want to kind of pretend, is it as it were, to be friends with them and just pump them for information. Right. It's uh, I want I want it to be an honest conversation, and I want them to understand how that would work. So Nissi, I want to ask you this one first. How do you approach somebody who is the other with integrity, if you can? To say, how is it for you? I need to. I want to understand how it is. Uh, with respect uh, for their expertise, for their yeah. knowledge. Yeah. You're right that you don't want to just pretend because um, mm. when I was little, there was this thing called National Brotherhood Week, sort of like uh, one week of of uh, getting invitations to lunch, where people would, yeah, they would be asking me all sorts of rather invasive questions about my experience. So with respect. Also, with the idea that there should be some give and take here. So mm. okay. often, often uh, I will recommend people, you know, suggest this themselves. You know, I can give you money. I can uh, volunteer for an organization that you are part of. I can wash your grandmother's floor. <laughs> I can do something... I can look at your poetry. Oh no, no, not your poetry. But yes, I can look at your poetry and um, I can do something in return for you helping yeah. me. So that I think uh, really changes the power dynamic. So as much as possible, when you have specifically approached someone, recognize the value of what they're giving you, whether it's information or knowledge or experience and treat that person with respect. Finally, we come to the third R, and that's reasoning. And this impacts on plot as well as setting. And it requires us not only to do our research, but to also think through the consequences of what's happening in our story. In my recent interview, 
in episode 63 with the writer Peter F. Hamilton, he talked about the importance of reasoning out the most plausible setting and plot. Working out detail across the whole range of different aspects of setting, culture, economy, social forces, technology, everything. Taking all of these themes and working through a logical progression to identify what is most likely to happen. This is what Peter had to say on this subject. Now, I think you've hinted there at the fact that you don't just have to kind of, in terms of the research, look at the technology. Is it a broad spectrum of research that you have to do for these things? To a degree, yes. I mean, a lot of it, as I say, if, if you have uh, fusion power, for instance, then you're not going to be worrying too much about uh, pollutants in the air. Uh, so that's kind of like the obvious side of it that you, you don't need much research on. But then how fusion power will affect the economy if you have cheap, clean energy, how will that affect the economy? Will you have runaway factories everywhere because they're so easy to run? It, it's all that kind of thing you have to take into account and, and balance it all out. So... It's not so much research as, as logical progression, if you like. But then you, I do need to do a bit of research to find out what the fundamentals of, of say, fusion technology are uh, and the requirements and, and that kind of thing. So the thing with research is that you give people the confidence uh, that you do know what you're talking about and, and what you said is correct. Now, this kind of logical progression and reasoning is essential if we're going to ensure that the setting of our work maintains the credibility and believability that we need to have with our readers. So research and planning are time-consuming activities, but to come back to our frequently visited building metaphor, if writing a book is like building a house, then this is the process of laying the foundations. The readers won't see them in any obvious sense, but laying good foundations is vital to the success of your whole project. So that's enough for this episode. Today we've looked at the three R's of preparation, research, respect and reasoning. We've discussed the delights and dangers of researching using the internet. We've talked about the benefits of experiencing an environment if we're going to write about it. And we've also talked about the value of dispassionate observation, as well as engaging consciously with others for their knowledge and experience and how that should lead us to showing respect to other people around us as they help us. Finally, we've looked at reasoning and the need to take all of the aspects of our preparation and setting into account and thinking through in a kind of logical progression what might be credible and believable. So that's it for this episode. Today I have quoted from the following people, works and sites, wikipedia.com, space.com, bbc.co.uk. I've also quoted Nisi Shaw from episode 60 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt and Peter F. Hamilton from episode 63 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. I'll get some show notes up on Pinterest for this episode. We also have a group at Goodreads. You can go to goodreads.com, look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt there, or you can go online to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com. Just drop me a line. I'd love to hear about the projects that listeners are working on. That's it for this episode. So until next time, as ever, thank you for listening. And goodbye.